Welcome to our weekly three-minute therapy podcast here on YouTube and Podbean. I'm Dr. Michael Edelstein. I'm a clinical psychologist and author, and I'm here with my partner, Nick Berry, an expert in rational emotive behavior therapy, and we're honored to have a special guest today, Dr. Earl Salzman, and he'll be telling us about his work in a minute. Uh, our podcast center around REBT, Rational Emotive Behavior Therapy, devised by Albert Ellis in 1955. Albert Ellis has written over 80 books on the subject, Rational Emotive Behavior Therapy, and he uh, started a revolution in psychotherapy from the old Freudian model to the cognitive behavior therapy model that is so popular these days among therapists. REBT is based on the crucial idea that our emotions come from our thinking, not from situations. So if you're upset, look at your thinking and change your thinking. And that's what we discuss on our many podcasts. So don't go back to your childhood or your history or uh, your abuse by your crazy uncle, but rather look at your thinking right now and change it. And normally thinking that causes emotional disturbance is thinking in terms of demands. Must, should, supposed to's, have to's, demands you put on yourself, others and situations. Okay, without further ado, let's uh, get started. So, um, Dr. Salzman, would you tell us a little bit about your approach to structured communication and working with children? Absolutely. Michael, in 1978, uh, I made a discovery, and to some extent with my wife, we made a discovery based on our interactions with our five-year-old Frank. He was uh, a very active child, both at home and at school, getting into a lot of trouble. And uh, one day when I approached him, his response back to me when I became more insistent that he stop running around in school was to tell me, Daddy, I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it, and you can't tell me what to do. I'm the boss of me. And this he was old five. Huh? He was five. <laughs> I, well, that's called omnipotence. And, yeah, uh, but an independent out. spirit, an independent spirit. Well, that's part of the problem. If you view it as independent spirit, then, which is what I did for about two years, three and four, he was running around. And I kept saying, I hope no one breaks his spirit. The only person who was breaking his spirit was himself continuing to do these things. So when I learned this from him, I began to study messages of direction and correction that parents give their children. And what I discovered is 95 to 99% of these messages, you need, I want, would you please, being very polite, uh, why didn't you do what I told you to do? All of these messages contained choice, leeway loopholes and it gave the child an out now that's not so bad if you say to 
a child, would you please go pick up your backpack and put it in your room? And he or she does it, whether they're five or 15. But it is not going to be good if a particular type of child called most are doing something and they get stuck doing what they're doing. And even Ellis, I don't say even Ellis, but Ellis talked about inertia and how bad a problem that is for human beings. They get stuck in doing something. And if the message of direction isn't very direct, right now, sweetheart, you need to get up right now and go put your backpack away. If you give them an out, they're going to take it. And then <laughs> if that makes sense. So I began to study what parents tell their kids and realize, oh my gosh, most of the problem that parents were having was in their message of direction and not recognizing that the child is stuck with his biological inertia. And if he's playing video games, watching TV, or if she's doing whatever, and you go to him or her and say, I want you to go do such and such, does that mean that the child has to? And it doesn't. But when the parent comes back, what do they expect? That's where the irrational thinking comes in. You should have done what I told you to do. And you see how that blends in with REBT. I'm sorry, Earl, I didn't get that. You said that's with. Oh, say it uh, again. You said that's where the irrational thinking comes in. I didn't follow. Where? What was the irrational thinking in there? My irrational thinking is if I tell you to do something, you should have done it. That's irrational. You absolutely should have done it. And because you didn't do what I told you to do, I'm now getting angry at you. Yeah, Mick. Mick? Oh, I understand it perfectly, and I can explain it. I understand yeah, what uh, Dr. Salzman's saying, but I don't know if you need more of an explanation, Michael. Yeah, sure. Yeah. If you tell somebody that it's, it's time to go brush your teeth, please go brush your teeth, and they don't do it, and then you have this idea, he should have brushed his teeth. That's ridiculous. He has the choice not to brush his teeth. So you're de placing demand on the child. Right. And now the twist is that what I do, and that's very good the way you summarized it, the twist is that I say to parents, if you want your child to do something, be insistent in the beginning and cover up your loopholes. For example, when I was a kid, my mother would yell from the kitchen, Earl, yes, mother. I was a very nice kid. You need to come in here and put your shirts away. I just, well, wash them. Well, my I'll be right there, mom, <laughs> that didn't amount to anything because I was reading a comic book, Superman, Batman, whoever. And what would happen 15 minutes later when she noticed I didn't come? She'd be upset. She talked about why do I treat her like a disrag? And I, a 5, 10, 15-year-old kid, I didn't know what she was talking about. So that's where I began to work with parents to let them in on the secret. And the secret is inertia and that omnipotent boss called I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Yeah, so what, what's the problem with the message? You need to be there. You need to go put your shirts away. The problem is it gives leeway. If, if 
Again, something I'm Ellis, not sure, uh, Ellis talked about if if that it's a kind of a fault or flaw in human nature. If a human being is doing something, and we're talking about an adult, and he or she wants to go to the party that evening, but they don't feel like getting up and getting dressed because they're involved in doing what they're doing, they have to force themselves to do it. You need, do I have a need to get up and go and put my shirts away? No. If my mother would have said, Earl, right now, come and put your shirts away, do you see that that's a clear, more definite message? Do you see the problem? Uh, yeah, yeah, yes. Uh -huh. Yeah. Are good. Yeah, I, I, Nick. yeah, I wanted to say something. I think it, it's really insightful. Shall I call you Earl or Dr. Salzman? Please call me Earl. Okay, <laughs> Earl. Yeah, it's very interesting. And I can see the usefulness of this. And it. I think some people might confuse this with being a conflict or antithetical to REBT if you tell a child you need to get dressed. Well, REBT would say there are no needs. However, when we tell a child you need to get dressed, there is implicit uh, within that as far as our awareness goes, you need to get dressed or this is going to be a big mistake and you're not going to have a good day and there are going to be more problems that arise from this. So that isn't any conflict or antithetical. It's nothing antithetical to REBT because there is understanding from the adult's viewpoint, if you don't do this, it's going to make things really tough. But a child, I think, will not comprehend all of that. And when you give them that out, they don't care if it's going to make things really tough. They haven't got the they haven't got the awareness and the experience that an adult has to know if I don't brush my teeth, I'm going to get cavities. And so you simplify things for the child and you don't give them the out. You say you need to brush your teeth. Okay, we as the adult understand there are no needs. However, that in to communicate with the child, you don't want to get into all of that. You need to brush your teeth. I have a perfect example if I could talk for 30 more seconds. A friend of mine was getting divorced and he was no longer living with his wife and his wife called him up and said, Steve, we've got a problem. Their daughter will call her Susan. I won't use a real name. Susan won't go to school. And he said, what do you mean she won't go to school? She's telling me, I don't want to go to school today. You can't make me go to school. There's nothing you can do to make me go to school. I can't get her to go, Steve. And he was living in a separate place. He said, okay, I'll be right over. Comes in the house and says, Susan, you need to go to school. Okay. And she went to school. That's but right. you're saying, Earl, don't say you need to go to school. You're saying... Uh, use the message, go to school. Well, I'm saying, see, I, I think what I just heard with your examples was very meaningful. But if you tell a kid you need to brush your teeth, you've announced an aim. And that's a strong message. But what's the loophole? It doesn't okay. say that you have to do it now. Oh, so okay, I so even, even yeah. in saying you need to, there's a loophole. So you don't even give them a loophole. You I, just say, brush your teeth. Well, what I'm saying is if you have the right type of child, you can say, but you better study your evidence and learn whether or not, if I say this to Billy, Billy, you need to go brush your teeth. Is that the right type of child who jumps up and does it? But if Bill, if Tommy is sitting there 
and and he's busy watching TV and you say you need to brush your teeth. Now, if you move into a threat, keep in mind you're moving into a choice. Let me give you an example. I gave a I given thousands of talks on this subject matter all over the place. And uh, a mother comes up to me with tears in her eyes. And she says, I, I wanna thank you for giving me the insight about choice and no choice messages. And I said, well, I appreciate your uh, giving me that, but why the tears? She said, I've been so hard on my four-year-old. And I said, what do you mean? She said, well, let me give you an example. We were outside, he was playing with a toy, doing beautifully. Suddenly his friend comes from outside across the street. And, he, and, and Anthony gets so excited, he starts running toward the street. And of course the mother then yells, Anthony, don't go into the street, but keep in mind inertia. As he's running toward the street, Anthony don't go into the street is not a strong enough force message to keep him from stop to stop him from running. So then she tells me, she yells, Anthony, if you run into the street, you'll give me your toy. You either stay out of the street or no toy. Well, he stopped. He turns around. He runs to the mother. And what do you think he gives her? His toy. And what do you think he then does? He runs into the street without her knowledge of her giving the choice she was furious at him, thinking he was being defiant. He wasn't being defiant. He was following her instruction. But in this case, she threw down the toy, ran after him, got him, and started, she acknowledged, spanking and yelling at him, when are you going to learn to listen to me? But then she looked at me and said, but now I know it is I who am not listening to myself. I didn't realize, as you said, Anthony was the type of child, you better not give a choice. You better say, Anthony, no street, and then start running after him immediately. Then she said, her older son, Tommy, eight years old, she said, when he was a youngster, I could have said, if you're this, he would have gone yikes, as I see it. And he would have backed off. But you better know your child. If you have a frank child, you better not just say to Frank Child, if you do this. I learned that. David, his brother, was the type of kid who, you, who said to me at the age of five, Daddy, can we do such and such? And before I opened my mouth, he said, now, Daddy, say yes or no, but don't say maybe. Frank was the type of child who would have said, say yes or maybe, but don't, don't say no. Do you, see, do you follow what I'm getting at? I yeah, don't, no, I don't. I don't quite. I don't follow that, Earl. Um, I think I follow. Getting, getting back to, uh, let me finish my question, please, yeah. Nick. Uh, getting back to Anthony. Yeah. So the mother said, "Anthony, don't go into the street." Now yeah. that seems like a clear, direct message, but you're saying it's not a, it's not the best message. Is that for correct? Him. And why, why, why for him follow it up with a threat? When he's the type of child who has short-term pleasure. No, no, if he if she says Earl, if she says don't go into if she says don't go into the street, there's no threat. There's just direct command, isn't there? Don't go into the street. But it wasn't enough to help him. Following through in this model means you lend more of yourself to help him not to go into the street. 
The other models of parenting say, if the child doesn't listen to you, then you punish them. I'm against the use of punishment when it is your fault, you set the child up for failure. Why? Because you didn't know better. I'm not blaming parents. I'm just saying parents get themselves so angry because they don't know better. A father walks into the kitchen. The son is pouring syrup on his pancakes. The father says, Philip, it's too much. What's the goal of the father? What's the father's goal? when The father's he says, goal is to get him to stop pouring the syrup. But listen to his vague message. Is that going to yeah. protect a boy who's in the midst of pouring syrup? Oh, yeah, that, that part is clear. Yeah, Mick? I was going to say, I think I understand what he's saying. You need to assess what the child is going to listen to, what this particular child what will be effective with the direction that you tell the child. There are, Earl, I hear you saying, there are some children that if you give them a choice, they will be able to deal with that and still get done what needs to be done. There are some children that do best with no choice and you don't give them a choice and you need to discover, I suppose, as the child becomes two or three, what it is that you're, who it is you're dealing with. Even older, even older. Yeah. yeah. Well, you, run an you run an experiment to see what message works best. That's right. But most parents don't know, as the mother said, I never knew that I was giving choices. See, most parents talk in a normal way. Normal messages you need, I want, would you please? I had, I had one boy who was 14 who came in and said, you know, since my parents are telling me to go and do this now, and then they thank me because you taught them to go ahead and thank me after I'm doing it. He says, it's like a different world. I'm being very successful. Before we saw you, they were giving me blob, B-L-O-B messages. Would you please, you need. He said, I never paid attention to those messages. You see, when you give people, kids and adults information, they're able to have some insight. And that was a very insightful boy. But before that, and his parents were very pleased that they had the tools to help him instead of punishing him. It's a very upsetting home before they saw me. And then they worked with me and they became much more successful with this type of child who was 14. 14. Am I'm, I making some sense? What? Not some sense. Yeah, Mick? Yeah, well, this is making perfect sense to me. I think it would be very useful. Very useful. Uh, I, I teach children, actually. I'm a drummer, and I have tons and tons of students, and I teach them. And it's interesting because I don't have any problems with the students I teach. Some of them don't listen as well as they could and what I need to do. And I'm very direct. I'm, maybe I'm just doing this naturally. Maybe I'm giving That's myself right. too much credit. But sometimes I'll say, hold on. I need you to stop. Well, I'll say, I need you to listen. Now, I suppose I'm giving them a choice in that. I could. You're studying your evidence to see if that's enough to get them to do, right? Well, uh, all I know is I work with them and I get results that, you know, uh, and some of the kids are easier to teach than others. But kids respond much more to a teacher. You're a teacher to coaches, to scout leaders, much more than at home when they regress as adults regress. 
Well, I, I can't tell you the number of parents who have told me, you talk to him, he won't listen to me. <laughs> That's right. But they are listening. The parent just doesn't know how to create have-tos. Now, this uh -huh. is a very complete model that I developed. I'm giving you this much. Uh -huh. I, mean, I can't give you at all. I mean, uh, when I give workshops, it's like nine hours worth. When parents come to see me, you know, hopefully they don't come and get a, get this and then say, I know it all because it's an ongoing process. Yeah. Well, speaking I mean, of on, speaking of an ongoing process, uh, Earl, you are in an ongoing process of writing a book on this. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Do you have a publication date? No, <laughs> I've been uh, we're working on it, as they say, but uh, we're getting closer and closer. My daughter and my wife and I. And uh, I'm hoping we can finish it before the end of this year. But that's hoping. That's not doing, if you follow. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Mick, do you have a last word? Well, I, I have many things I'd like to say, but I don't think we've delineated specifically how what Earl is doing parallels REBT. I don't think we've made that crystal clear. And I'd, I'm wondering if Earl could do that. I could take a stab at doing it again. Maybe you could, Michael. I'm not sure what the best way to do this is, but I'd like a crystal clear comparison of REBT and the term you use. What is uh, your approach called again, Earl? Structured communication parenting. Structured communication parenting and REBT. I don't think we spelled it out clearly for people. Well, yeah, I mean, first of all, I was delighted when I sent my material years ago to Dr. Ellis and, you know, you're, and I got a response back, you're on to something, keep it up. Why don't you get in touch with uh, a couple in Kansas City, um, a wonderful couple. I'm blocking on their names. He passed away, but they mainly did child work. I think in this case, um, it would be a matter of helping parents to first recognize what gets in the way of children doing, not listening. And uh, this is what Ellis said, people get stuck. They're doing something, and what would he say? Push your ass. He would say that. Yes, he would. To get, uh, people to do it to themselves. Well, when it comes to helping children be successful in listening, cooperating, doing, watch out for your loopholes. And if you give a loophole, instead of thinking you should have done what I wanted you to do, find your loophole. For example, a mother saw me. She came back and said, I am no longer using the should. I said, what do you mean? She said, the other day, my bright little three-year-old was climbing on the couch. And I said to him, stop climbing on the couch. He said, mommy, I'm not climbing on it. I'm climbing over it. She said, I immediately felt that he was talking back to me and he shouldn't be doing that. And then I caught myself hearing your voice in my head saying, at this point, all you've learned from him, but a lot is that you've gave him a loophole. Stop climbing on the couch. His thinking was, I'm not climbing on it. I'm climbing over it. So she got up. She lent more of herself to him. And as she took him off the couch, she said, sweetheart, what I mean to say is, you're not allowed to be on the couch with your feet on. You see how much of a complete message? So in other words, she was learning how not to should on him. He should do what I tell him to do. 
well, if you give him a, a message that has a loophole, don't we all try to find loopholes in our lives and get away with things? I think most human beings do. Am I making more sense? It's a matter of knowing what you're telling your child and not shooting on him. A mother sees her uh, hyperactive daughter. And again, you can imagine this leads to a lot of diagnosis of ADHD as parents don't realize what they're telling their kids. They're in a grocery store. She comes to me, by the way, at the third session. She says, I now agree with you. Following through to see to it, it's much better than following through to punish. I said, what opened your eyes? We were in a grocery store. She was an eight-year-old kid, had a, a, a child's cart. And she, the mother, was taking cans down. She notices her daughter far ahead, midway down the aisle. And the girl begins to hop, skip, and jump. Well, the mother sees a display at the end, and she imagines, oh, my gosh, she's going to hit the display. So she yells to her, Linda, stop. But Linda keeps on hop, skipping, and jumping. Linda, stop. But she continues. Now the mother is shooting on the kid. She should do what I tell her to do. So she's now gotten herself angry, she said. She runs down the aisle, grabs her, and shakes her and says, didn't I tell you to stop? And the girl looks at the mother and says, Mommy, I heard you say stop, but I didn't know what to stop. And so the mother realized this is the type of girl that if you give her a message, you follow through to help her, not to whack her, not to shake her and yell at her and demean her. Earl, 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 I'm sorry to cut you off, but That's we all right. just have a few more seconds left. So I'd like to thank you very much, Dr. Earl Saltzman. And is there a way people can contact you if they want to speak more with you? Yes, very much. Uh, you know, the office number is uh, 281-493-3632 in Houston, Texas. And uh, I think that's the best way. Okay, and very good. Thank you. Thank you so much, Earl. There's a wealth of uh, information in there to think about and Did implement. Uh, thanks, Mick, for joining us and your great questions and clarification. And uh, thank you, Chris Rossini, our tech engineer, for helping us with the technical part. And comment below. Give us a thumbs up if you liked it. Subscribe to the 3-Minute Therapy Podcast to stay on the rational side of life.